This is exactly right. Attention all crafty murderinos. We want to show off your My Favorite Murder-inspired art and or handmade goods when we're all together in Santa Barbara next month for the Santa Barbara Weekend. Applications for our art exhibition are now open to all My Favorite Weekend attendees, while our MFM Maker pop-up store vendor programs are now open to everyone. Links below. Submissions are due no later than October 14th. We'll see you there. Bye! What's up, Kansas City? Oh, <laughs> wow. Wow. Guess that answers that. <laughs> Holy shit. Did How, you? Did I fuck your nails up? I painted my nails 42 seconds ago. <laughs> You, you like to live on the edge. I really do. And then I grab her hand hard, and then... Yeah, I right am... before we went out, I was like this, and yeah. then I'm like... Oh, jugaba. oh. Yeah, painting my nails at the last minute is my new cocaine. Oh. <laughs> oh. It's so amazing. Uh, what's your old cocaine, then? Old cocaine was uh, crank. Um, <laughs> it's bad for you. Look at this gorgeous fucking I know. Theater. This is where it would make sense that two old lady audience members mm -hmm. would get tickets because they accidentally thought this was the sequel to The Phantom of the Opera. As they did in Austin. In Austin, Texas. But it would make sense here. For I sure. feel like I would have stayed and not. Do you think they demanded a refund? Yes, I absolutely do. <laughs> yeah. There's no way. Yeah. That's true. <laughs> we do hardly any standing around singing at each other. <laughs> the touch of it. It's sometimes. not that kind of show. If need be, but. <clears throat> Speaking of singing, I, <laughs> I was in my hotel room. <laughs> <It's> embarrassing. <laughs> I was in my hotel room in the bathroom getting ready, and, and then I heard a song blaring through the wall. Through the wall. In the, uh, from the other room, and That's I realized... That's how nice of a Holiday Inn we're staying at. <laughs> That's right. Nothing but the mediumist. <laughs> for these two. That's right. And I hear Tears for Fears blaring through, and I realize it's Karen <laughs> blaring Tears for Fears across the way, so I was like, I'm going to get her. Yeah. Um, I'm going to get her, and I fucking sent her a gif of uh, Tears for Fears. The gif? And I was like, she's going to be so creeped out and spooked out. And then she was like, can you hear it through the wall? <laughs> <laughs> That's why texting ruins everything. Yeah. Because the real experience I had was I was like, there's a room with a laugh, find it, whatever, in my underwear. And then I pick up my phone and then there's the guy from Tears for Fears going, there's the room with a I was like, what the fuck? Oh, you were? Yes. You did what the fuck? Ent oh. Entirely what the fuck. Oh, good. And laughed. Then I went and got dressed real quick, just in case there's a camera hidden somewhere. <laughs> hey, we're all watching you on your internet right now. No. No. Oh. Not without my Spanx. 
please. I feel like of all the hotel rooms we've stayed in, there has to have been one with a hidden camera. Look, right? That's Listen. the world we live in. I think we all get real good with it. Yeah. Just get start writing your responses now. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm the one that planted it there. We can work for <laughs> some responses when you get shamed online for being nude yeah. in privacy. I feel like Though, if it's only on the dark web, who gives a shit? True. Right? Those people don't leave their houses. Yeah, but... uh, (laughs) Right? Only to buy other people. (laughs) Have you watched the Madeline McCann documentary? Oh, Oh. my God. Don't tell me. I'm not all the way through yet. Don't ruin it. No spoilers, but apparently the dark web is not the best place to go. (laughs) It's not... there's, There's... People aren't that nice there. Oh, speaking of uh, in your underwear in your hotel room. Uh Uh-oh. This is my favorite murder. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. This is Karen Kilgariff. And this is Georgia Hardstark. And you are all our best friends. Hi, best friends. That's our new game, is who can say at the most perfect time, (laughs) that this is my favorite, like the perfect, that's it. That was a good one. I love it. That was great. Um, Do you want to know what I was doing in my... I sure do. I... Well, I did... I found a people and I know what you were doing in here. (laughs) Oh, good. good. The people was at my doors just open and I'm sitting around (laughs) my underwear because I couldn't give a fuck less. Um, I was taking a nap this afternoon and Vince came back to the room and he starts wrestling and I have my eye mask on. So I'm like, what's that wrestling? And then I'm like, what's that smell? And then he's like, do you want to wake up for some barbecue? (laughs) And I was like, yes, I do. So I sat in my underwear only in bed eating a rib. (laughs) Fucking great. I have to get married again. I have to. (laughs) Yeah. It was pretty great. I mean, I guess there's delivery, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. There's something to be said for marriage, and it's ribs <laughs> in bed. Hell yeah. Yeah. And then I dropped the rib on the white sheet, but that's okay. <laughs> it's not your problem. Is that my problem? I've fucking done worse things on the, the <laughs> left. Listen. What? Look. Leave your maid a tip every time. So the tips are huge, just like the stains. <laughs> Uh, George is doing that in her bed, in her underwear, and then in the distance. <laughs> I still ate the rib after I dropped it. Is that gross? <laughs> Did you? I was but like, on a bleachy, bleach hotel sheet? Yeah, I was like, is this gross? And Vince was like, they probably have so much disinfectant that they clean it with. And I'm like, I know, am I eating the disinfectant right now? <laughs> I feel like in this life, Right yeah. now, our choices are eat disinfectant <laughs> or eat intensely hideous germs. That's it. Yeah. It's one of two ways. Be okay with both. Yeah. My system right now is just getting a power cleanse. Yes. From those. <laughs> Hi. What are, you, Hi. what are you wearing? No, you talk about your springtime dress okay. first because it's so cute. Yes. Thank you. George is wearing a circle dress. That was dizzy. <laughs> I have, the reason I'm wearing basic bitch shoes is because, (laughs) let me tell you what happens. Let me tell you what happens when you don't really know what the map of the U.S. looks like. This is is kind of a warning tale. That's right. Stay in school. Um, (laughs) Be cool. Stay stay in school. school. So, 
our okay, Vince, my husband is our tour manager, so he always calls. The, he has a phone call with the um, uh, what's venue. It, venue. Thank you. <laughs> in advance, just to be like they they want this. Everything has to be white. Don't look at them in the eye. You know, <laughs> our just, demands. It's called a writer, and we have our one, basic demands. And, yeah. It, I wish it was that good. That would be amazing. It's like Folgers coffee, and that's it. <laughs> Cubed cheese. Yeah. Please. So I'm getting, I'm packing yesterday for this weekend, and I hear him on the phone with the Grand Old Opry uh, venue. Yeah. And I'm like, great, we're going to Nashville this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to fucking Nashville this weekend. So those cowboy boots I packed don't make any sense here. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm wearing these instead. But you know what? Maybe cowboy boots tomorrow, right? Yes, oh, 100%. And pockets. Yeah. Yes, Georgia's wearing a pocketed dress. Oh, I see you do that every show, and I'm so jealous, it's, and this is the first time. Yeah, you gotta do it. Show them your pocket thing that you do, it's so funny. Show oh, them your I dress. like to go like this. Well, every, this is, I wear the same dress every time. I like to treat this job like it's a, like I work at Domino's. This is my uniform. <laughs> I wash it every third show. <laughs> Literally the last, we were just in Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, yeah. Indianapolis. Wonderful time, thank you. Yeah. And um, as we were sitting on that last night, we were sitting at the table and I looked down, I'm just like, there is so much shit on this dress. <laughs> I have to wash it. Um, so I did. What story am I telling? <laughs> Show your oh, pockets. Oh, this is what I like to do. She just does Good a luck player. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, I thought you were doing a magic trick the whole time. No, I'm doing a Vegas dealer. Oh, I thought she was like nothing in my hands, nothing up my sleeve. I could change it to that. Sure. That'd be amazing if I did it one time and then pulled a dove out of my pocket. (gasps) And then bit its head off. Hear me out. Hear me out. They love it. They love it. These are rock venues. We need to play to... That's right. The venue. That's the word for the evening. Venue. Venue. Um... Steven's not here. Steven. I know. Yeah. yeah. He's going to listen, so you should definitely do that. Play that up. It makes him feel better. Play it up. We need him to stay. Uh, That's enough. Well, don't overdo it. Yeah. Or <laughs> <laughs> such assholes. And scene. <laughs> um, yeah, he has to stay home because now he is the head engineer of the Exactly Right That's Podcast right. Network. Yeah, he mustached his way right to the top. He's going to take over the podcast industry one mustache pull at a time. (laughs) Uh, Should we sit down? I think so. Ooh, thanks. Oh, we're going to be like, we're going to have to get way up for these pictures. Okay, everyone. This is a true crime comedy (laughs) podcast. Someone had a... um, Someone had an idea that you're not going to like, that we're not going to do. Or the people who have never, the drag-alongs stand up while you give this speech. (laughs) If someone brought you here against your will and you've never heard this podcast, would you stand up, please? (laughs) You don't have to. They're proud. Oh, they're doing it. Hi. Attack them. Oh, my God. I have never respected a person more than whoever you are that someone just went boom right fucking up there was a few of you who are a little too proud to not liking the thing that you're surrounded by 
<laughs> but it's fine. What if we did wow. like a Rocky Horror Picture Show thing where we brought them up, <laughs> spanked them? It's just a step to the left. Yeah. Well, we like to do a quick announcement for the people that have never heard this podcast before and, and hear the content, like the women who thought it was a sequel to the um, <laughs> Famine of the Opera. And like, also there was the other women who, I think it was somewhere in Texas, who thought it was a murder mystery um, dinner, theater. dinner theater thing. <laughs> it's not. Or, Unless you brought some fucking goldfish. Yeah. There's no. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> the fuck word dinner mystery theater. <laughs> um, right? I feel like the Phantom of the Opera ladies stayed. It was one of them that stayed. Oh, for what? I feel like... One. We'll talk about it later. You think murder mystery is more likely to have they stayed? They seem more playful than okay. someone who's into Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrong? It was actually Andrew Lloyd Webber. He, was, he, he showed up to sue us. Um, no, so sometimes when people hear about this podcast, but they never listen to it before, they hear the combination of true crime, which is the worst thing that can happen to anybody, and comedy, and they think that's really shitty and disrespectful and d offensive, and I don't think you should do that, and, and fuck you guys. And um, <laughs> we, we, we read the comment boards, and um, we just like to say at the beginning of the show that yes... That is true that that's the combination, but that's because George and I, our passion has been true crime since we were little kids. We've always loved it, like most of you guys, and we've paid a lot of attention to it all our lives. And one of the ways that we um, process horrible things in this life is through comedy and humor and making light of things. And it's not because we think people uh, losing their lives or losing their loved ones is funny in the least. Um, it's because things can be insanely shitty and you have to laugh or you will go fucking insane. So that's, that's our theory. We don't have to explain it, but we choose to. <laughs> and if anybody after hearing that uh, continues to be offended by this concept, we cordially invite you to get the fuck out. So. <laughs> And if you're, too if you're too scared to get up and walk out, you can do what someone did and it was at Indianapolis. <laughs> Just had a fucking seizure. Yeah, you can fake a show. seizure. That's true. Poor baby. We did a quick, um, I would say it was a four minute hold. Yeah, we, we just we here. In the middle of, I think it was my story, uh -huh. because I was about to tell a hilarious anecdote about my friend who had just gotten married and he broke both his arms and then his new ladywed wife had to wipe his ass for him. <laughs> which I was, I was thrilled to be able to tell this story. I was so excited. And in the very middle of it, someone starts yelling things. Some, some woman yelled, help. And Karen goes, are you yelling, help? And it was like, yeah. And then it... And then, boom, yeah. lights went up. Turned out the guy walked out. He, was I also, he got what he wanted. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. It's fine. You have... Yeah. He, look, you can just leave. <laughs> That's what we're Don't trying to, to say. be a dramatic. I have seizure disorder, so I reserve the right to say anything I want about that yeah. guy. If you, if you walk out after it happens, you don't like bite your tongue off or anything like that. <laughs> then like, you get to make fun of you. Um, are you first? <laughs> Am I going to have a seizure, you say? No. <laughs> Please don't. Here's my thing. Any, if you have friends that have seizures or anyone that does, can I just say as someone who has them? And that, honestly, I felt terrible for whoever that happened to because it's the most embarrassing thing in the world. Like a couple of times I've, I've gone into, I've had an aura and I was about to have a seizure. I grabbed my friend's arm and I go, don't let anyone look at me. 
no. Yeah, because the, my worst fear is just like everyone slowly backs away and then you're just like on the ground. No. Beat, it's like you're in your own weird exorcism horror movie or something and everyone's just like, huh. Do we stick a, put a stick in her mouth? Or I heard you put a wallet in her mouth. Grab some gross wallet from some guy's yeah. pocket and put yeah. it in her mouth. Hey, you know that big fat wallet that's actually made a mark in your back pocket jeans? <laughs> stick it in her mouth. You don't stick um, anything in anyone's <laughs> mouth who's having a seizure. Get away from their mouth. Stay out of my mouth. <laughs> Please. TS, TSA? No, PSA. P- <laughs> This is a, it's a PSA from the TSA. That's right. <laughs> the Seizure Association. Yeah. And also get pre-check. It's the best. Oh my God, do you have pre-check? Get pre-check. You will fucking fly through that line. That's right. We talk seizures. We talk TSA. <laughs> we don't give a fuck. Hey, Karen, you know that feeling when you're stressed out and your heart starts to pound and your mind is racing? I do. I know it well. Well, while there's no cure for stress, therapy can help shape your response to it. And since May is Mental Health Awareness Month, there's no better time to try Talkspace. When you sign up for Talkspace, you'll receive a personalized match with a therapist or psychologist, typically within 48 hours. Forbes rates Talkspace as the number one online therapy platform, plus their licensed professionals are in network with almost all major insurance companies. Once you meet your therapy goals, or if you want to cancel for any reason, Talkspace will provide you with a prorated refund for unused time. I feel like these days people understand the importance of therapy, but the difficult part is just taking that first step. It took me months to make my first therapy appointment. I was so scared. I had a lot of ideas in my head about it. And that's why I think Talkspace is such a good idea, because making it so approachable will just get you there sooner. Then you can actually get in there, figure out what you need, talk to an actual professional, and be on your way to solving some stuff that you might want to solve. To celebrate Mental Health Awareness Month and the power of talking it out in therapy, Talkspace is offering our listeners $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80. Go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and use promo code SPACE80. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com slash MFM and enter promo code SPACE80 and get $80 off your first month and show your support for our show. That's Talkspace.com slash MFM. Enter promo code SPACE80. Goodbye. There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder and here's the important note that promo code is 
all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Okay, I'm first two nights. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> all right. I fucked this up so good last time. Arrow and that way. Yes. Great. Boom. Okay. Got it. I went to it yet. Okay. Last time I picked this up, I kind of didn't look at any of the buttons. I just saw a red one and started pressing it. I'm like, <laughs> why doesn't this work? I'm pressing the red stop button and over I could and see over. poor Mike, this, the visuals guy, just being like, I've worked in this business for 50 <laughs> fucking years and this girl's making me look stupid. Like, I guess the visuals don't work here work. in Cincinnati or wherever the fuck we were. Mike. <laughs> the visuals union president is on the phone. Get her out of there. Okay. For real, though. For real, I'm about to do the Meeks family murders. (gasps) Right? That's the noise you make when you don't know what it is. That's fine. (laughs) It's fine. I know the name, and it sounds scary. This is a historical one. We like to do the oldies um, a lot. And this one is, it's pretty legendary. It happened in Browning, Missouri. Nobody. Two hours and five minutes northeast of here? No. Okay, thanks. We get it. We're from L.A. We don't know anything. That's, yeah. It's like San Francisco, then L.A. What else is there? Or am I pronouncing it, is it supposed to be bruning or some bullshit <laughs> like that? So sick of it. Um, <laughs> most of the information, I, I would say 90% of the information that I have in this story is because I found a website called murderbygaslight.com. And it is so good. That's like you. Yes. It is a... Um, it's uh, written by an author who's actually written a bunch of true crime books. His name is Robert Wilhelm. And this website has, like, it's everything from the 19th century, all these murders in America yeah. from the 19th century. It's really awesome. I also found a Facebook page called Missouri History and Hauntings. <laughs> right there on Facebook. So, like, go like it. <laughs> um, okay. So, let's see. Oh, um, in 1894, the population of Browning, Missouri, was 524 people. Cozy. Uh Uh-huh. Private. (laughs) Browning. (laughs) Um, Okay, so it's just after dawn on the morning of May 11th, 1894. That's your birthday! That's right! That's right! Yes! I'm a good friend! You just passed the friendship test. What's mine? It's June! Say Georgia in June, right around the 13th. Nope, nope, no. 19th. 18th. 60s. <laughs> Someone in the front knew Georgia's birthday. Security. That's my best friend. Security. You're oh. my best friend now. I bet you 20 bucks. Vince doesn't know either. You okay? 20 bucks. I'm not okay. You just replaced me with someone in the front row. I'm sorry. Recently, Vince was like, we're going to, do you want to go to see like this band play on June 8th? And I'm like, no, because June 8th, because (laughs) it's my birthday. He's like, oh yeah, (laughs) I don't care. So it's not the 16th. 8th. 8th? 8th. June 8th. You'll forget it. I don't care. I'll Steve, tell you. Steven, don't let me forget it. And if I, if I do forget it, you're fired. <laughs> I'm not one of those friends who's like, well, t- 
today's my birthday. I would never do that to you. Okay, good. Yeah. You would just lock it away yeah. on your anger list? I don't have a birthday. <laughs> but if I did, I'd kill you on it. <laughs> because okay. you made me so where, mad. Where were we? I, uh, I like to do the thing that the older ladies do, which is not talk about my birthday, not have a birthday. <laughs> and then when people go, was it your birthday? I go, no, you're thinking of your cousin or someone else with black hair. <laughs> Get away from me. <laughs> And anytime I hear a person speak the words my birthday week, I oh. never talk to them again. Oh. I'm for real. Truly. That whole thing, I don't know. I don't know if it's generational. I don't know if it's because we're living in such a difficult time <laughs> that people are just like, it's my birthday for a week. <laughs> you cannot leave my side. I need this. I have to drink and you have to drink with me. <laughs> okay. Back to Browning, Missouri. Okay. Population 524. Georgia's birthday is June 8th. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to buy her Browning, Missouri. Okay, I'm going to set the scene for you. It's just after dawn on the morning of May 11th. That's my birthday. And a woman named Sally Carter is, <laughs> I wrote, putzing around the kitchen. <laughs> When did you become Yiddish? <laughs> you know, she's fitzing and she's putzing and... Um, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she's all mashugana around the kitchen. Um, also that I don't know that at all. It's like these historical murders I love because the, no one really knows. Every, everything is conjecture except for the actual facts. So she could have not had a kitchen in her house. Like, there's so many things possible. About. She could have not known how to futz to begin yeah. with. Yeah. She could have been like sitting in her bed eating ribs. We don't know. <laughs> Everyone lives a different life. But in my mind, she was putzing around the kitchen, which in 1894 means that, you know, she was starting a fire and making biscuits and then milking a cow and then churning butter and then slaughtering a pig and curing bacon. And yeah. You know, breakfast. chopping a cord of wood for breakfast. Yeah. And then she settles down to do some needlepoint by candlelight and go blind. <laughs> 1894. So, <laughs> Sally's doing her turn of the century CrossFit morning routine. <laughs> just rolling a big tire through the front yard. <clears throat> Let's just picture she's standing at the kitchen sink. Okay. If they had sinks back then. And mm. she hears a little girl crying in the distance. Ooh. Early morning crying. Dawn. So then there's a knock on the door. The best beginning of a movie ever. Mm -hmm. She opens it to find a bloody crying seven-year-old girl standing on the doorstep. She's dirty. Her clothes are torn. And she's covered in straw. Oh, no. She has a huge gash across her forehead above her left eye. Uh. And her name is Nellie Meeks. I have a huge gash on my forehead <laughs> above my right eye. But it's not from an injury. It's because I've spent my whole life going, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> and if you do that long enough, 20-year-olds, you get a big hatchet mark no, right no. there. And they can't fill it. There's no in the world that can fill it up. That kind of anger. Promo code murder. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, cut the word until they give us money. Right. Okay. <clears throat> okay. 
Here is Nellie Meeks. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, honey, she got a pocket. <laughs> That's right. Auntie. Doesn't she already look Oops. haunted? Yeah. Like I saw that picture and I'm like, okay, now picture her bloody. Oh, oh wait, I think there's also a close-up of her face. Yeah, let's get real close. No, no, no. What'd you show? Oh, don't let. <laughs> okay. All right. No. Sorry, that's what you fucking signed up for tonight. It's gonna get way worse oh, than haunted crying. Okay. 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 <clears throat> so, the little girl tells Sally Carter that she woke up in a ditch covered with hay and her family was in the ditch with her dead. So she waited until dawn and then crawled out and she saw two houses in the distance, and she started walking toward one house, and then she heard her dead mother's voice tell her to go to the other house, <gasps> and that was Sally Carter's house. Oh. So Sally Carter was like, okay, Nellie, I'm just gonna get you a glass of water now. <laughs> <laughs> silent scream toward the butter churn. Yeah. Oh, and here are Nellie Meeks's parents. This is Gus and Delora. No. That's not them. This is not... <laughs> Dragalongs, this is not comedy. This, I'm not doing picture comedy with you right now. Damn it. You want me to try? No, no, no. We just went out of order. Uh, we'll just go like this. Oh, we'll leave it up. We'll leave it up. <laughs> And then, you'll, then, then you tell me when you think this picture is relevant. <laughs> so Sally yells for her 10-year-old nephew, Jimmy, and she says, go look for the haystack that she's talking about. No, don't send a child to look for the dead Ten -year -old. bodies. Okay, but it was a different time. Okay. Uh-oh, is someone else doing it? Oh my God, that scared the shit out of me. Yeah, wait, take a look, because it's kind of scary. That's, that's Gus Meeks, and that's uh, Dolora Meeks. Okay. Who is also the queen of Spain, apparently. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. There might be a lag. Let's see. Oh, oh. There, all right, <laughs> yes. here we go. We're home, we're home, we're home, everybody. <laughs> And we're back. <laughs> okay. So Jimmy, now it is, it seems inappropriate that a 10 year old would go looking for a murder scene, but you have to remember it's 1894 and uh, Jimmy was the sheriff of Browning. <laughs> it's a different time. He had a yeah. family of his own. He was retiring soon the next day. Yeah. <laughs> He's too old for this shit. <laughs> and he had a daughter just about the same age <laughs> every forensic files of all time um, 
No, so, so Jimmy basically runs out into the backfield and starts running around, and he eventually finds the haystack, mm. and he finds the family, the bodies of the family under the haystack. Um, so on his way back... So, sorry, the, um, the Meeks family who were laying there under the haystack were the father, Gus, as you saw, and the mother, Delora, and she was pregnant, the mother. Mm. And then Nellie's two sisters, Hattie, who was four years old, mm. and Mamie, who was a year and a half. Oh, Horrifying. Man. On the way back home, Jimmy sees their neighbor, George um, Taylor, and he's harrowing his field. Oh. <laughs> we know. We know. So Jimmy yells over to him, hey, there's dead people in that head- haystack, so don't harrow over there. Mm-hmm. Which is... Literally, the quote that I read oh. on the way, I, that's not me. I mean, it, it's probably true. I think so. But then at that point, I was like, I gotta find out what harrowing is. <laughs> and that it's, it's just that thing that okay. the horses drag along behind them to plow the field and Got dig it. it up, get the rocks out of there and stuff so you can sow your seeds. <laughs> have your goddamn, have all your goddamn corn so that <laughs> Sally Carter can go pick it at dawn every morning. This painting is by a Lithuanian painter named Zygmus Petrovicius. <laughs> For real. Cool. <laughs> and I was, I noticed, I like the way that white horse looks. That's how I feel in every picture that gets taken of me. <laughs> I'm just like, kind of ashamed, and I don't know what to do with my front legs. And I'm just like, ooh. I have such a big face. Okay, take it. Take it. Take it and post it, you fucking assholes. <laughs> <clears throat> okay. I love a horse painting. Okay. So when law enforcement arrives, Jimmy's boys, uh, Nellie tells them her whole story. So this is uh, seven-year-old Nellie. We were going up the hill by Jenkins Cemetery. The man without whiskers said his feet were cold and got out and walked along the side of the wagon and shot Papa, and Papa jumped out and started to run, and then Mama screamed and started to jump when they shot Mama and Sister. Then they hit me in the head and I went to sleep. When the man put me in the straw, the one with the whiskers kicked me on the back and said, they are all dead now, the villain sons of bitches. They covered me up and I could not breathe good. I heard them say it would not burn as it would not catch. And then the police were like, good job, Nellie. We're going to get you a glass of water. (laughs) Yeah, silent screaming. Silent scream. Okay. So what Nellie was talking about was uh, that they, the, the men tried to burn the haystack, that they, they tried to burn the bodies and all the belongings that they had in their wagon, but nothing would light. So then they just covered, covered the bodies up with the hay. So it didn't take long for the police to figure out who the men with and without the whiskers were because Gus Meeks, the father, um, and his family were living on the Taylor's property, George Taylor and William Taylor, his brother. Is that the next door neighbors that mom was like, don't go to that one? Yes. And she didn't? That's (gasps) right. That's right. That's the man who was harrowing Uh, all up in that field. That's right. That was George Taylor. That's a harrowing tale. Yes, it is. You had to do it. What choice did you have? You had to do it. Okay. That's right. 
Okay, so the Meeks were tenant farmers, and they lived on the Taylor's property. Um, they were really poor, so when the Taylor brothers invite Gus to come and get involved in a cattling rustling, cattle rustling scheme of theirs, Gus joins in for the money. Of course, even though the Taylor brothers were the masterminds, Gus was the only one who gets caught, and he gets indicted for it. Shit. Yeah. So he pleads guilty. He winds up in the penitentiary for a month. But when he's there, um, the police offer him a deal. Basically, he, he can go free if he agrees to testify against the Taylor brothers. Uh-oh. And Gus is like, that sounds amazing. I love <laughs> it. And I'm in. Um, and he's released before he gives his official testimony, which isn't the best idea. But that's how Jimmy was as a sheriff. He didn't make great decisions. <laughs> So the Taylor brothers hear that Gus got out and they put two and two together and uh, they know the cops want them for cattle rustling. So Gus is free. They know he's going to testify against them. So they come to Gus with an offer. They say, you can have this wagon and these horses and $1,000 if you skip town and don't testify against us. How much is $1,000 today? $27,000. Shut up. Is $1,894, a $1,000 was $27,000. That's a lot of money to leave yeah. Browning. <laughs> yeah, to get the hell out of Browning. Yeah. So Gus is like, I love it. This is amazing. <laughs> Another great offer. Thank you so much. I got these amazing offers coming in from every direction. So the Taylor brothers say, here's the plan. On the night of May 10th, you're going to come. You're going to spend the night at our house. And then we're going to get all your stuff together with your new wagon and stuff. And slumber then, party. Right? At slumber party, the Taylor brothers. Uh. It's so crazy. They're going to have Capri Suns. And they're going to play <laughs> video games and stay up. It doesn't matter what their mom says. <laughs> and so then the first thing in the morning, he'll leave town. He's going to go to Oklahoma. He's going to resettle in Oklahoma. <laughs> right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Oklahoma girl. Like her all the fucking true Oklahoma beach party. Yeah. <laughs> and Gus is like, oh my God, yeah, Oklahoma girl. I love it. This is Woo! amazing. Let's do it. Wow. Okay. So he goes home, tells Delora the plan, and of course Delora's like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Common sense. Right? Uh, she does not want her husband to go stay with the Taylors by himself. So uh, just before midnight on May 10th, the Taylors arrive at the Meeks' home, and they find that Delora has packed up all their shit and gotten the kids dressed, and she's just like, yep, we're coming too. Fucking carpool, let's do this. Yes. Shit. Yeah. And so the Taylor brothers are like, okay, all right, that's fine. And because uh, they tried to argue her, she would not back down. Um, so they're all going together. And so on the way to the Taylor's house, when they re- reach the top of Jenkins Hill, um, George Taylor stops the wagon. He hops out and shoots um, Gus Meeks, killing him in front of the family. And then it went just like Nellie said. Dolores jumps out of the wagon. George shoots and kills her. Um, they shoot the four-year-old Hattie. And then both brothers use rocks to beat uh. Nellie and her one-and-a-half-year-old sister to death, or so they think. Then they put the bodies back into the wagon. They drive two miles um, to a field that's just past their house. They dig a shallow grave. They put the Meeks' bodies and all their possessions in. 
cover it with hay, try to set it on fire. Um, all the while, Nellie is playing dead. <sighs> so that morning, when Jimmy finds the grave and he calls over to George, oh, I said, you put this all together. So you jumped me and now oh, I don't shit. fucking know where I'm. Sorry. No, 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 no. Oh, so here's an upsetting picture. If you don't like upsetting pictures, don't look at this because don't it's, listen to this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd step out of true crime in general, but this is they took. I stand a, immediately up and yeah. I'm a monster. Okay. This is um, I'm here for this. This is the Meeks family. God nope. damn it! One more. Okay. Oh no. Yeah, that's how they were found. Okay. Uh, okay, you can look now. Okay. Um. Uh, mm-hmm. May 11th. <laughs> June 8th. <laughs> You're my best friend again. Sorry. <laughs> We're back. You're out. So, no, it's too late. <clears throat> okay. So, who are these monsters, the Taylor brothers, you ask me? Tell me. Okay. I asked you. Uh, George and William Taylor. Um, well, they own the People's Bank in Browning. That's right. They're fucking bankers, of oh. course. And, oh, and William served in the Missouri State Legislature, so they're super rich, and they're clearly psychopaths. All right. Like many politicians and bankers, they're under indictment for forgery, arson, <laughs> larceny, and cattle rustling in both Lynn and Sullivan counties. Uh, and that's why Missouri Governor William Stone wanted Gus Meeks to testify as a witness against them oh. so he could finally put them behind bars for everything on the, the cattle rustling charge. Mm. So when Jimmy yelled over to George about the harrowing, um, that's when George was like, thanks so much. Silent scream, runs in, <laughs> gets his brother, and they immediately leave town. Wait, so did he, did he say, and now he's alive? Or did no. he, they just found the bodies? I didn't expect he just said find him. the bodies. So okay. he just assumed they were okay. all dead. So, yeah, they did. Okay. No. So, um, <clears throat> as far as I know, I love to answer those questions <laughs> like the absolute expert. I've read two websites about yeah. this story. I believe you. Yeah. Um, okay. So, <laughs> they, they leave town. Um, they flee to Arkansas. Um, it's a great place to go if you're on the run, if you're on the <laughs> lamb. Lay low in Arkansas. That's, that's their the motto. New, that's the new commercial. <laughs> that's their uh, license plate holder. <laughs> Lay low in Arkansas. <laughs> Dye your hair and change your name. <laughs> Just use cash in Arkansas. <laughs> <clears throat> they are captured a few months later in Arkansas and mm. taken home by train. But um, because the people in and around um, Browning, and basically it seems like the state of Missouri um, heard about this uh, terrible entire family being murdered um, because on the train route back, they couldn't make the normal stops because there were angry mobs at every train station in Moberly, in Macon, in Brookfield. Angry mobs of people who are going to kill those motherfuckers if they got off the train. So they're just like, you know, reroute. People talk so much shit on angry mobs, but sometimes... Sometimes they're right. Right. Sometimes they're very clear-thinking people. (laughs) They're very justice-oriented people. Let's hear it for angry mobs. Let's hear it for... Pitchfork-wielding angry mobs. She's like, no fucking way I've had it. <laughs> this is where that's I... The, that's the one thing I will not stand for. 
<clears throat> but she has a pitchfork. That's the irony is that she's, <laughs> she's a one lady mob. Um, okay. So they get back. The trial is held on April, in April of 1895. Um, the Taylor brothers plead innocent, of course, because okay. they're fucking liars. And uh, when William Taylor takes the stand, he says that he and George had dinner um, together at William's house around 4 o'clock on May 10th. Oh, my God. Because it's That's the 1800s. The truth, probably. That's yeah. the one truth in the story. Yeah. We, we ate dinner at lunch. Um, <laughs> It's what we do because we go to bed at seven. So anyhow, <laughs> uh, afterward, George went home, but William went back to the bank to do more work, like licking money and caring about money more than people. <laughs> um, he says he worked till 10, went home, went to sleep until 5 a.m. Oh, uh, And then he was woken up by Sally's calisthenics. And <laughs> then around 8 a.m. the next morning, Joe shows up. George shows up and there's no Joe in the story. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening. Jo- George shows up at the bank, tells women to what? Are you alright? Seizure? See, help? <laughs> yeah, help. Did you yell help? Help. Who's got a wallet? <laughs> Pre-seizure wallet in mouth. I'll do it myself. Here I go. Don't look at me. It was seizure on stage in front of thousands of people. <laughs> Yeah, could you drag my body off as a favor for my birthday present? Okay. Um, He goes to the bank to tell William that Gus Meeks has been killed and that the body was found on their property, so they're being set up and they have to get out of town. That's their argument. When, um, but when the prosecution um, makes their case, they bring Gus Meek's mother to the stand who used to live with them and was at the house when the Taylor brothers used to come over all the time and do their cattle schemes and plans and shit. And she stated that Gus actually received a letter on May 10th that was written on stationery from the People's Exchange Bank that said, be ready at 10, everything is right. Um, so the prosecution argues that this supports the idea that the Taylors were planning to kill Gus all along um, and then afterwards had to kill the family as well. Mm. But it turns out, so it's all kind of laid out pretty clearly, the jury is split. And the rumor around town is that the jury was completely bribed yeah. by, the, by the Taylor brothers. Yeah. So a grand jury convenes and they're retried. Um, so in August of 1895, the Taylor brothers are found guilty of the murders of the Meeks family, and they're sentenced to hang. Oh. I t- how have you not learned that you don't <laughs> clap at this part? Because it's we never, never the learn. end. We never know. You know. It's true. I mean, you can do it for the excitement, but they're found guilty. They're sentenced to hang. They appeal their conviction, but the Missouri Supreme Court upholds it. But... They, when they're awaiting execution um, in the jail at Carrollton, for they have they're there for a year, and while they're there, they hatch a plan. Mm-mm. So on April 11th, 1896, they saw through an iron bar on the windowsill of with their what? cell. A saw with a jail saw that they bought at the canteen. <laughs> oh my God! No saws in <laughs> yeah. jail. No, you can have one saw. <laughs> If you promise to only use it in your cell and not on. Uh, so they saw the, the, the um, bar off and then they replace it with soap so no one notices. Shit, that's crafty. Yeah, they fake out an iron uh, um, bar and they climb out um, the, that 
Yeah. <laughs> Is that the angry mob lady? <laughs> She's coming back in laughing at nothing. <clears throat> they climb out of the window. They tie a 50-foot hose to a pipe. How are they it. getting this stuff? They got... Well, because they're rich. Oh, They're right. fucking rich. They can have whatever they want. Mm-hmm. So they get their saw. They get their 50-foot hose. They tie it to a pipe. They throw it over the wall. They climb down, and they, get, they escape from jail. Fuck. So on April... I told you. On April 30th, <laughs> 1896, William Taylor is caught, and he's hanged in Carrollton. Oh, good. And... Yes. The governor is so stoked that he finally gets to kill one of the Taylor brothers that he sells tickets to the hanging. Sells tickets. Now that's in poor taste. That I, I think it's wrong. Um, the, and hundreds of people come. Here's a picture of the hanging. Nope. No. I mean, they're hanging out. They're hanging out. <laughs> nice cover. <laughs> Um, by the by, this is what every dude in Los Angeles looks like right now. <laughs> It'll change in like eight months, but yeah. it is beard-tastic over there. Beards and vests and actually, actually, actually. Okay. <laughs> Hold on. Yeah, there's the hanging. Oh, I can't. It's just a lot of... Okay. Hard, hard to get that ticket. Look at the lady in the front with her hat. Yep. I put on my best hat and see a man a man's neck snapped by rope. <laughs> and then we'll go out for a light lunch. Um, George Taylor gets away and is never seen again. Oh. Yeah. But there's sightings of him everywhere. Arkansas? <laughs> yeah. They no. check Arkansas? <laughs> He, there was a story of him living in Texas as a hermit. There was one where he was arrest, had been arrested in California. And in one story, a priest claims to have heard the deathbed confession of a man who lived on an island in the Mississippi River who claimed to be George Taylor. Oh. But nothing was proved. So this was my favorite part in looking up this story. On Murder by Gaslight, the website, mm-hmm. underneath the story of the Meeks murders, there was a comment section. Yes. And I'm going to read the comment section to Sometimes you Sometimes right those now. are the best. It's, it's golden delicious. So. <laughs> All right. Good idea. Right? Um, John Meeks is the first commenter. Uh-oh. This is my family history. John Meeks, son, Earl Meeks, son of George Meeks. That's the whole comment. Next comes Marilyn. Hello, Mr. Meeks. Now she's talking to him, so you know that this is like some mom who's just like, I love computers. (laughs) So she thinks the comment section belongs to John Meeks right now. She's like, I'm going to write him a letter. Hello, Mr. Meeks. I have just read this history of the Meeks family. My grandfather, William B. Spray, was a second cousin to Albert Ross Spray, the husband of Nellie Meeks Spray. (gasps) So Nellie Meeks, after all this happened, went to live with her grandmother. And then later on... Two years later. (laughs) And then she was married at age 13. Um, No, she was married to... Albert Spray, and then she had a daughter in 1906, and she named her daughter Hattie after her sister. Okay. Um, Having never heard this story, so she basically says she's related to that family, that side of the family. Mm -hmm. Having never heard this story, I was, quote, blown away by it. Quote, just so you know, she was not literally blown away. 
that as a figure of speech. No, honey, I'm still alive. <laughs> I didn't get blown away. <laughs> now Hence here's the Lynette. Quotes. <laughs> what? Hence the quotes. <laughs> That's why I put it in quotes. <laughs> anyway, sincerely, Marilyn. Wow. Now this is Lynette. I am Lynette Meeks. I am related to Richard N. Meeks, and he died 7-7-2007. He was 77. <laughs> it's comment section. You don't know if it's true. <laughs> Come on. Grain of salt. And I think I am related to you guys, just a you, and I am 13 years old. Aww. Baby murderino. Yeah. <clears throat> I hope I am. I want to. If I am not... Uh, not to be famous, spelled F-A-M-O-U-S-E, famouse. <laughs> not to be famous or to be like that. Just to know and love family I haven't met. Aww. That's Lynette. Don't meet people on the internet. No, Lynette, get off this Especially internet. Especially if they tell you they're family. Lynette, you can be as famous as you want to be. <laughs> you don't need the internet. You well, don't need the it internet. Helps. It helps. It's actually very helpful. Um, <laughs> This is JT, I'm assuming it's pronounced Dial, D-I-E-H-L, 74. Uh, not his birth year. Yeah, so we know his passport and yeah, his birth date. Exactly. <laughs> Don't give away all of your, um, your uh, security information yeah. in your own screen name. That's a really good... <laughs> yeah, we all learned that in 1999. <laughs> uh, so JT says, my grandmother, Bonnie Meeks Dial, has talked about this event occasionally. Not every fucking day yeah. like I would. Jesus. <laughs> Gus Meeks, father Nathan, is my 3X great-grandfather. Nathan Meeks, George Meeks, Reuben Meeks, Bonnie Meeks, who married Delbert Dial, Ricky Dial, Jason Dial, me. Oh, <laughs> Jesus, the whole damn family the is on family. this fucking comment section. And then he wrote, such a tragedy to read about. And then Steve wrote, nice overview. Delora was my great-grandfather what Ray Hensley's fuck? first cousin. <laughs> Jesus. And then here comes Mike Meeks. <laughs> I may be kin to y'all. My grandfather told me a story about how this family was murder in Missouri, M-I-S-O-R-I. Love you, Mike. Love oh you, Mike. Oh, my God. You kin. can tell Mike was typing with one hand and drinking a beer in the other. <laughs> I'm related to you, Sand. And then here comes John Meeks back from the top. Wow. George Meeks, a.k.a. George Ulysses Meeks, is my grandfather, buried in Byron, Oklahoma. We will soon be finding out my nephew is currently running a major family tree and DNA test. That's what I was going to say. Just go fucking give your <laughs> DNA to GED match. Right. And then you're all murderers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but I love how the nephew is selling it to the family like, I'm going to run a DNA uh, test and see where it's like, you mean you're signing up for Ancestry.com? <laughs> yeah. Easy. Pretty easy. Easy, nephew. Anyway, my, my nephew is currently running a major family tree mm. and a DNA test with the Meek, Meeks family genealogy, because apparently the S was added later. They were originally Meek. Uh, my father, Earl Dean Meeks, son of George Ulysses Meeks, is the grandnephew of Gus Meeks. My company has recently made me relocate, and I am less than two hours away from the murder site and approximately two hours from the grave site. If you still live in Missouri, please contact me. My father is currently at home in hospice care and will be gone soon. Whoa. So. TMI. Well, yeah. But he's, talk he's talking to his family. That's he can true. say whatever he wants. This is their fucking family newsletter now. He's like, okay, we just met, but you better come visit yeah, my dad. Before he Pretty dies. soon. 
and bring something nice. <laughs> but here's what I love, and I've got the chills thinking about. All of those people are talking on that comment board today because a seven-year-old girl oh. crawled out of that fucking grave. And her mother, her dead mother's voice led her to Sally Carter's oh, house. Chill. Yeah. Really? Yes. Right? That's the Meeks family gravestone. Uh -huh. So Joe and Mike and Steve and uh, Lynette should all go visit that. Yeah. But then also, here's a book that um, Robert Wilhelm wrote. This, so the Meeks family murder is covered in this and then a bunch of other ones that looks too. That cool. He's, he's an amazing writer. You guys should look at that. Okay. And that is the insane, horrifying story of the Meeks family murders. Careful. The lightest touch. I know. Don't touch it. Okay. okay. So light. So that was crazy. Right? Twists and turns. I mean, it had everything. Comments. A whole comment section. <laughs> if, you're, if you're worried about your, sh your story running short, Dude. which of course I never am, read a <laughs> comment section. That's good. You, you always come with these twists and turns that make your story, that fill it, that I'm going to start stealing. Do it. So thank you. I highly encourage it. I'm going to. All right. Good job. Thank you. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant, like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could, as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made in, made in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit 
visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Here we go. Okay. Okay. So la- last night I was I had my story already, and then I just started googling um, creepy Kansas City oh. weird murder. Da, da, da. Yes. And then I found one, and I was like, "Oh fuck! How do I not know about this?" And then can- I have to do this tomorrow instead. Okay. <laughs> so I spent all day working on this. Nice. Um, guys, this is a fucking crazy ass murder in room ten forty six story. No. Well, someone said yeah. Yeah. Real loud. Murder in room 101046. <laughs> and I got a lot of info from this, from the website, All That Is Interesting. This chick, um, Katie Serena, wrote this perfect article, so thanks for that. And then I got a bunch of details. And it takes place in 1935, so of course in every article there's some differing info, but I picked what I wanted, and now it's fact. Now it's your story. Okay, here we are. On January 2nd, 1935, at 1.20 in the p.m., a well-dressed man checked into the Hotel President in downtown Kansas City. <laughs> that was an accident, but I saved it. Uh, downtown Kansas, Kansas City. City. Hotel President, uh, under the name Roland T. Owen, and he said he was from Los Angeles. A weirdo. Okay. <laughs> Creep. Yeah. Uh, he asked for a room facing the courtyard, not the street specifically, and he wanted a high-level floor. Fine. Okay. Um, but while being shown to his room, the bellboy, uh, being shown to his room, room 1046, the bellboy, uh, the man complained to the bellboy that he had wanted to stay at a different hotel nearby, the Mullabach, Mullabach, but that it was too expensive. Whatever. Yeah, that place is nuts. <laughs> All those mules. <laughs> Um, the, the bellboy noted when he took the man to his room, but he didn't have any luggage. So you're like, why are you creeping along mm. to your room with him? Whatever. It's the thirties. Um, and all he had with him was uh, a comb, a toothbrush and toothpaste that he took from his pocket. Whatever. Mm. The bellboy, uh, laters and Roland T. Owen was described as being about 20 to 25 years old, five foot 10, weighing 180 pounds, blue eyes, brown hair. And a large white scar on the left side of his head. And they, they show us like a drawing of it. And it looks like just a big patch of hair got like yanked. And now it's just like a big white scalp. Spot. And he just had that all the time? Yeah, he, that was his thing. And he like covered it with his hair, but everyone could see it anyways. Oh. Okay, how about go in there with a pen? <laughs> I don't think in Sharpies were invented yet. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, right. Sharpies were 1936. <laughs> All right. Well, they did. It did. They, he did seem like a weirdo to the hotel president staff, but they didn't think much of it until six days later, when the man known as Roland T. Owen was found dead in his bloody hotel room. Whoa! What? Okay. Here's what happens. Uh, let me show you a photo of the hotel president. Okay. Black and white. Legendary. Everyone's staying there tonight, right? Everyone loves it. Gorgeous. It's the best. Everyone had their prom there, right? Um, I don't know what the next one is. Okay. So I'll wait. All okay, right. so the day after he <laughs> checks into the hotel room, uh, on January 3rd, the hotel maid named Mary Soptic stops by to clean the room. She gets to the room, and then, so this is like vintage days, so there was like a key to lock the door and unlock it, and you, had a, you could tell if it was locked from the outside or the inside, somehow. When she got to Owen's room, she found the door was locked um, from the inside, so she knocked, and he, this Roland T. Owen, answers the door, is like, come in, she's cleaning up, I know how it's locked from the inside. How? This is one of these up here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Karen's a lock picker. It's a little bit of a detective. 
<laughs> a little bit. I don't know. It's just a passion of mine. Um, she, cl- she comes in, she's cleaning, and she's like creeped out because the room is in total darkness. He has like all the blinds drawn and just one weird like lamp on, which I'm like, don't shame me, please. That's how I live my fucking <laughs> life in a hotel it's room. It's all about the darkness That's in right. hotel rooms. That's right. And um, only lights coming from a small dim table lamp. And she says that Owen seemed nervous and anxious and she just cleans up. And as she's leaving, he's like, yo, I have a friend coming to visit. uh, So don't lock the door as you leave. She's like, great. Got it. Don't lock me in. Yeah. (laughs) Mom. (laughs) Right. Okay. (laughs) Um, So four hours later, she comes back with towels and I'm like, four hours. Don't give her a tip. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Um, so she knocks on the door to give him towels and uh, she finds the door still unlocked as she had left in the afternoon so she goes in and finds him laying fully clothed on top of his still made bed seemingly asleep I bet he was faking a note there was a note on his bedside table that read Don I will be back in 15 minutes wait and it's Don like D-O-N not Mm. like lady Mm -hmm. wait okay um Great. The next morning, January 4th, around 10.30, she, come, she comes back and, uh, to make the beds. And, and I'm like, 10.30, sleep in. <laughs> she finds the door to be locked from the inside and as if he had left the room. So she uses her key to go in. Um, um, that gets rid of my theory. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> you just use a credit card. And, um, but he was in the room and he's sitting in the dark in the corner and that means that someone had to have locked him in his room. Oh. I guess that's how locks work okay. in the 1935. This is I don't know. A whole mystery yeah. by itself. She's like cleaning up, like, do do do, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and as she's cleaning, the phone rings and he, Owen picks it up and says, No, Don, I don't want to eat. I'm not hungry. I just had breakfast. And that's it. Is it code? Who fucking knows? <laughs> After he hung up, um, he starts interrogating Soptic about her job and the hotel, and it was the first time he had really spoken to her, and he asked her how many rooms she was in charge of, what kind of people lived, were there, and uh, again, complained about the price of the neighboring hotel. Clues. That's what they're called. <laughs> Later that day, she comes again with hotel towels. <laughs> she just wanted to go back there. Yeah, she's yeah. N- this point, nosy she's, Nelly. She's nosy, yeah. That's right. Um, she's like, why is that guy in the dark? <laughs> I need a V. What's he doing? Uh, she goes back with towels. She knocks, and she hears two voices in the room at the door, and she's like, what's up, fresh towels? <laughs> and in response, she hears a loud, deep voice that she says wasn't Roland T. Owen's voice telling her to leave, that they had enough towels. But she was like, I fucking know they didn't have any towels because I just <laughs> took them. <laughs> Because they didn't have... Excuse me, I know exactly yeah. how many towels are in that we room. So enough... This is before they had the, like, save water and don't wash yeah. your towels every day. This was actually back when they the, all those signs said, please waste as much water as you can. <laughs> right. We're going through a too much water issue. Right. Help President Roosevelt or whoever. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the, the, the deep voice was like, um, get out of here telling her to leave. They were like, we have enough towels. And she was like, no, you don't, but whatever. Um, and um, so that same day, a new guest re- arrived at the hotel and got put in the room next to uh, Owens. And several times that night, several times at night, uh, she hears, uh, she's woken up by the sounds of an argument next door. And one voice was male, she said, and the other was female. She heard sounds of a scuffle and a gasping noise. 
She assumed it to be someone snoring. No, she didn't. She was just not being nosy, right? Also, talk about thin hotel walls. You hear someone gasp in the next room? Yeah. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Also, like, who talks in their sleep in a male voice and a female voice? Mm -mm. Very weird. Well, around 1030, I heard him furrow his brow. And that's (laughs) when I knew there was a real problem in there. Everybody wants to That's, yeah. Okay. And then that same night, the night elevator, which has to be the fucking most boring job in the whole world, (laughs) also reported some shit going on after hours. He said there was a party taking place uh, in one of the rooms on the 10th floor, and there was a familiar woman trying to find room 1026. And by familiar, they mean um, she was a sex worker, is what they were trying to say. Familiar to a hotel. Yes, a familiar woman. She came a lot and met up with the men that were there. She probably had bright red lipstick and a fur. Yeah. Yeah. She was probably cool, and he was like, oh, I love when you stop by, because everyone else is boring. Yeah. He says he saw her several times that night, and the last time when she, she couldn't find the dude she was looking for, she said, but when she left, she was in the company of a man. Um, at 4 a.m. And uh, the man then, yeah, the man and her left. Goodbye. <laughs> Let's see what's next. I don't even know. Here's, okay. Oh, there's a scar. Oh, there's that patch. There's that patch. That's what he looked like. Hi. It seems like because everyone would stare at that, you should get someone to pay you to like have a cigarette ad or something right there. <laughs> oh. Be an influencer? Is this. <laughs> Early influencer. Uh-huh. And this is him from the front. Uh huh. Yeah, me too, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. The next morning, the bellhop receives a call from the hotel's telephone operator. He says that their phone in room 1046 had been off the hook for 10 minutes without anyone using it. Go fucking tell that guy to put it back on the hook. And the bellhop goes upstairs. He says that the door is locked. There's a do not disturb sign on the door. But he knocks on the door. Man. And Owen says, come in. But when the bellhop told him that the door was locked, he got no response. Um, So he knocked again, and he didn't answer. And the bellhop was like, he's probably drunk, and knocked it off the hook. Goodbye. Later is out of there. And then an hour and a half later, the telephone operator is like, what the fuck? It's still off the hook. Go up there again. And so uh, the bellhop lets himself into the room this time with a master key. He sees a man lying naked on the bed, seemingly drunk. He says he saw, like, dark stain on the bed, and he figured he was drunk. I don't fucking know, man. He's minding his business. Um, so, But he's putting together that he's drunk from the stain on the bed. Maybe he thought he peed or barfed. Or shit. Oh, I forgot what it's like to drink too much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I didn't put that together. Uh, I've never shot the bed. I, I, now I feel like it's important that I say yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Make it clear. Sorry that I even introduced to this topic. I guess it's kind of my favorite now that I think about it. It's, uh, you got to be factual. I brought it up a couple times. <laughs> um, but the guy was like, okay, whatever. He put the phone back on the hook and locked the door behind him. And to his surprise, an hour later, the telephone operator called again and was like, come on. <laughs> so it was the maid. That oh, maid yeah. went down and worked as the operator. She's like, I got to get into that room yeah, yeah. somehow. Go see what happened. Ooh, maybe it was the maid. Um, 
so this time the bellhop goes up. He goes in, and this is what he later tells police. When I entered the room, this man was within two feet of the door and on his knees and elbows, holding his head in his hands. I noticed blood on his head. I saw blood on the walls, on the bed, and in the bathroom. And the blood, the bed sheets and towels were stained with blood. The walls are fucking covered in blood, like spattered blood as well. Whoa. Right. I think this is what... Okay, I found this room, and I and I don't know if it's the room, but that's what comes up when you Google this shit. So this is the room, everyone. Today, this would cost you one thousand thirty-five dollars <laughs> yeah. to stay yeah. in a room that big. It's vintage. It's humongous. And there's another bedroom I over know. there. I don't. I don't there's think it's There's a bedroom real. off the bedroom. Oh, maybe that's the, when you open the door and you can party with your friends in the next room. Maybe. You know. But you also, have- what's this like sleep viewing chair? Get that. <laughs> Get out of here. It's just automatically creepy. <laughs> just could yeah. you watch me just for like the first two hours? I have this thing. Okay, so maybe that's the room. Let's pretend it is. Okay. All right. So Okay, so the bellhop, of course, they call the police, and when a detective arrives, um, Owen's still conscious, and the detective asks, Who did this to you? And he replies, Nobody. Ew. And he said, how did you get hurt? And his response is, I fell against the bathtub. Honey, no. And when they're like, what's your name? He said something unintelligible. They couldn't understand it. So uh, at the hospital, the doctors discover that his arms, legs, and neck had been restrained at some point by some kind of cord. And he had been stabbed in his chest multiple times, which had punctured his lung. And they'd also fractured his skull from, or had his skull fractured from repeated blows to the right side of his head. So he had been fucking attacked. And he's still covering for somebody. Yeah. Jesus Christ. So according to a doctor, his injuries had occurred six to seven hours prior to him being discovered when the fucking lady heard gasping and shit next door. (laughs) I was like, can you keep it down? (laughs) Over there, snorry. So the man who checked into the room 1046 as Roland T. Owen died in the hospital the night of January 5th, 1935, shortly after arriving. And when investigators searched the room that we just saw, they, <laughs> they didn't find any clothes in the room and all the hotel amenities such as soap and toothpaste, all the shit they give you that you're like, this is, this, why does it have to smell like lemon verbena? This is gross. <laughs> you know? That's the rule. That's actually government mandated um, odor. That no one all wants their hotels hair. have to Has use. Has anyone ever been like, I want my hair to smell like pledge? <laughs> <laughs> no one's ever wanted their hair to smell like lemons. You know what? I miss with my mom. I'm going to get pledge scented shampoo. <laughs> yeah. I just don't get it. <laughs> it just reminds me. The smell of pledge. You're so right. Because like, that's why I can't drink lemon LaCroix. Because uh-huh. it reminds me of my mom like polishing the dining room table on the weekend going, I just wish you girls would help out. <laughs> Did you guys never use the dining room table, too? No, ever. We didn't walk into that room. Yeah. yeah. It was no. like a hutch with dishes we never touched. It was weird. Yeah. Great. Everything is gone, including his clothes. And remember, he was naked when they found him on the bed. And so, um, okay, here's what was discovered. And then there was no murder weapon as, as well. So a label, things that were left were a label from a tie, you know, the inside, how they yeah. do that. And so uh, there were four fingerprints found on the telephone, and they said they were small and looked like lady fingers. (laughs) What? (laughs) Or they could have been chicken fingers. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. That's my TGI Fridays comedy. That was good. That was great. There was also an unsmoked cigarette, a hairpin, and a small... 
safety pin and an open, unopened bottle of diluted sulfuric acid. And of course, in every single article, there's like one of these things missing and one thing added. And it's just, you know, it was all, I think I got the, yeah. Okay. So those are the, there's the hairpin and there's the cigarette with no filter and all that shit. And then those are the detectives. <laughs> That's not Herbert Hoover. <laughs> Oh. No. Okay. He looks like he's playing the piano. <laughs> it's a little, like a little rendition. Before we crack this case, <laughs> hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. <laughs> you got to keep it light. It's tough. Law enforcement is, <laughs> especially murder cases. It's a hard job. Difficult. Thank you for your service. Um, okay. <laughs> what? Why do you have a bottle of sulfuric acid normally? And then why is it at this crime scene? I don't know. This is for our talk show. <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs> I think when you need to polish your dining room oh, yeah. table back then. Why can't these maids help out? <laughs> um, bup, bup, bup. Okay. Okay. So when they looked into Owen, this dude, Roland T. Owen, detectives found out there was no record of a fucking person named that ever in the history of ever, probably. I knew it. I knew it. It's the fakest sounding name. It's fake. The it doesn't tea, exist. The T is the fakest part. Don't gild the lily. If you're going to do a <laughs> fake name, just think of someone you went to high school with and combine the first name oh. of one person and the last name of the other and get out. What's your fake name then? The, uh, could be, oh, any number of people. It could be Joy Cameron. It could be Tr <laughs> Trisha Welch. There. <laughs> Those are great. Those Ellen are... Musani, Katie okay. Christensen. I could go on. You wouldn't do Roland, Roland T. Owen here. Roland T. Owen. Uh, what are you, a creative writing major? Get out of here. <laughs> Get out. So he doesn't exist. Great. They Google him. He doesn't exist. It's 1935. It turns out no one named Roland exists. Never. So oh, they were you know like, who does? I'm sorry to interrupt you. Go. The lead singer of Tears for Fears is named <laughs> Roland Orzabal. No. Yes. There's a room where the light won't find you. Um, wow, that's creepy as fuck. We always bring it around to roll it to nothing. <laughs> So they're like, we can't figure out this is, so we can't find out who fucking killed him. This is crazy. And so they did the thing that the most sane thing was that, that to identify him was that they put his corpse on public display. What? <laughs> you know. What? Like you do in 1935. The fuck? Hey, everyone. Do you know this guy? <laughs> Come see. I fucking swear to God. Right outside the police station? I don't know. I think it was at the morgue or like in this, in a, fuck. I you know. Come so, on by. Come on, check it out. Is he your friend? Your neighbor? Okay. Are you, are you traumatized? <laughs> a bunch of people, of course, came forward. They're like, it's this guy. It's that guy. It's none of those guys. But one of the, one of the people who came forward was a man named Robert Lane, who said that a strange thing uh, happened to him the night that Owen had registered at the President Hotel. So um, about a mile and a half from the hotel, driving along 13th Street at around 11 p.m., uh, that night, a man dressed in only like his trousers and his undershirt, which is like a no-no back then. Right? Ugh, it's could like, you imagine? Like running around in your underwear, basically. <laughs> um, and it was the middle of winter, so uh, he's running around and he flags down this dude's, Robert Lane's car, thinking it was a taxi, but the dude pulled over anyways, because it's 1935. Because he's like, you... what the fuck's this all about? <laughs> I gotta roll down this window. Yeah. And the, the dude in his undies was like, uh, I thought you were a taxi. And the guy was like, well, just get in and I'll drive you to where a taxi is because 
you're going to freeze. You're in your underwear. You're in your underwear. Um, so when he gets in the car, he note, the man notices a wound on the man, man's arm, like a fresh one. And um, the, the driver was like, what the fuck is with that? And, he, and then the guy in the car just swore revenge against someone. And in the newspaper, it said that he used profanity <laughs> about oh, it. Like, uh-oh. Basically, he said, I'm going to fucking kill someone. <laughs> right? You sure. Um, or it could be, I, I'm going to cunt and kill someone, but <laughs> that's less likely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't quote that. Don't. In the book, you write about it. <laughs> um, so. Start saying that. Yeah. So then the guy was like, it was totally th- this fake Roland T. Owen fellow. Okay. And S- same guy. Same guy. He's like, it's who it was. Okay. So also people place him um, in bars around the area and all this shit. And um, so, but no one could definitely tell who he was or, you know, why he was there. And the neighboring hotel that he had talked all that shit about, the Muhlenbach, Muhlbach, great, um, yeah. also came forward and claimed that that dude had stayed over there the night before for some reason, and then he couldn't stop talking shit on them and went over to President Hotel. Oh, okay. Uh, and, but there he had checked, under, uh, checked in under the name Eugene K. Scott. There's telling that you, letter. I'm telling you. Call bullshit on anyone who uses the middle initial. <laughs> yeah, it's dumb. It's like too much information. It's like when someone who's lying gives you too much information. That's right. Oh, yes, I absolutely have a middle name, and it starts with the letter T. <laughs> I'm a human. I'm real. Okay, and of course, Eugene K. Scott doesn't exist. And uh, da, 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 da. So, also, he stayed at the St. Regis Hotel in town, and this time under the name Duncan Ogletree. <laughs> then, he's, then he's just goosing the ending there. <laughs> but wait. Oh. Yeah. Okay, so for 11 weeks, his body lay in the funeral home in Kansas City while police were trying to figure out what the fuck was going on. Uh, and they're like, just come look, please. Come just... Anyone. Anyone. Tell us. So finally they were like, all right, we need to, to give him a burial. And they were going to give him in a, a burial in a... Uh, pauper's grave? Thank you. So they tried to do that. They arranged a small funeral at, as a, in a pauper's grave. But just before the funeral, a call comes in to them saying, don't bury him there. Bury him at this other like nice cemetery and like, I'll pay for it. And But he wouldn't say who he was, the guy saying he'd pay for it. But he sent cash to the burial place. Funeral home. Thank you. <laughs> so in some articles it says it was bundled in a, a newspaper and, and there was cash in it, which sounds cooler than what probably was, which it was just an which envelope. Which was just a nice check. Right. And later, uh, a flower wreath was sent during the funeral and the card simply said, Love Forever, Louise. Mm. Okay. <laughs> if I have to tell you that, it's not that creepy. <laughs> Okay, cut to a year later. A woman named Ruby Ogletree. No. Yeah. That's a real name it's now. It's a real name. Okay. From Birmingham, Alabama. Um, had read an article in American Weekly, which I guess was probably like Reader's it's, Digest. It was such a good magazine. <laughs> she read um, an article about this creepy, weird mystery case and saw the f- sketch of him. And she's like, holy shit, that's my son. So her son, 19-year-old Artemis Ogletree, oh. how fake does that fucking yeah, sound? Yeah, that's the fakest name of all. It's so fake that it has to be real. <laughs> Artemis. Okay. He must have been Greek. <laughs> 
She says that he had like left home to go travel the country and shit, and he had gone missing after staying at another Kansas City area hotel, and she hadn't heard from him for like a couple of years, two years, I think. She said that in August of 1935, after he had gone missing, she got a telephone call from a man in Memphis, Tennessee, who told her that her son was in Cairo, Egypt, and he can't write to you because he lost a thumb in a fight in which he saved my life, the dude mm. caller said. And she was like, what's your name? And I'm sure you had a middle name with a T yeah, or whatever. Yes, like, exactly. why are you lying about everything? <laughs> Liar T. Lie Micton. <laughs> Mrs. Ogletree said that, um, that he said the man had talked wildly, but he did have knowledge of her son that like, he would have only known if he knew him. So after investigators, oh, let me show you her son. He's kind of hot. Oh. Yeah. Wait a second. Oh, All right. Whoa. <laughs> I almost took down my own chair and the table. That would have been amazing. (laughs) All for the love of this guy. Uh huh. He looks like um. He looks like the guy from Titanic that's bald. Oh. uh, Can't hear a thing. You're Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Billy Zane. Zane, Everybody. Nobody's going for it. Thanks anyway. No, it's good. Love it. Shave that head. He kind of looks like he could be on The Sopranos as like a two-line guy at, yeah. the, at the strip club. Yes. So after she got that call, the invest- she like got the investigators in and was like, go ask. They went to steamships and stuff and were like, did you have this guy on? And they couldn't track him down. She's probably like rich if they went to that, those lengths to yeah, find probably. him. I don't know. Um, but, 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 but. Okay, so then the case is reported to the FBI. Herbert Hoover, he comes back. For real? Yeah. Oh my God, that was accurate. Twist and turns. <laughs> Four months after this unknown Roland T. Owen man died in the President Hotel, Ruby Ogilvy received two typewritten letters supposedly from her son after this dude had died, saying he was sailing for Europe, but she was super suspicious because they were all typewritten, and she's like, my son doesn't fucking know how to type. (laughs) And I'm like, maybe you learned in the two years he was gone from your house, but no. No. If you don't know by then. I just got to get out of my parents' house so I can learn to type and be myself. Right. So she was like, and also he, the person you'd use slang that her son didn't use, like, um, fella. I don't know. <laughs> they didn't, they didn't curse then. So it had to be. He's writing to his mother. Hey, fella, what's up? <laughs> anyway, I'm leaving the country. <laughs> Goodbye. Later days, buddy. Uh, my son would never talk that way. So, um, she was shown a photo of the nameless man and she said that it was definitely her son. And, but there wasn't any more evidence and there wasn't any concrete evidence that was, uh, it was him. But police eventually believed her be- and the experts are like, it's cause they just wanted to close the case. Yeah. Which is like, but maybe it was him. But to this day, the case does remain unsolved. There's been tons of speculation and theories ever since it happened. Cause of course. Cause of course. And then the internet happened. So of course. Um, people think that the mysterious Dawn person or the woman may have been the Ron- fake Ronald T. Owens, Roland T. Owens lover, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, and other, uh, and like maybe the other found out and they had a confrontation in the room and it led to this. Um, they, some people are like, maybe it was a professional hit, which seems a little too bloody for that, right? I think they like to keep it clean. And then, um, yeah, because I know that you have to do threes and I couldn't think of anything else I wrote. Was it a ghost? (laughs) That's all I could think of. But you have a good idea. Maybe it was the maid. What if it was that nosy fucking maid? It was just like 
it's her, it's like she's up there with her towels, but her eyes are dead. And she's like, can't I bring you towels again? And <laughs> knock, a knife. Knock. <laughs> Death made. That's our movie. Mm-hmm. And then I wrote, we may never know. And that is the story <laughs> of uh, the mystery of room 1046. Yes. Wow. Thank you. And there were so many good comments. I wish I had... I wish I had pulled a Karen and read some of those. It'll be our new thing, reading the comments That's a section. great idea. It's usually the best. Um, God, best. what was that? I don't know. Do you think because in 1935, S&M was looked on as a negative? Someone was, t- in the comments, people were like, maybe he was someone submissive and it got out of hand. And like, he, he was like staying there until he told him to come, you know, someone was making him stay there and locking him in and stuff. <laughs> that is really hot. I can see why you do that. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm going to lock you in a hotel room and leave for like two days. And you're going to pay me for it. Man, that was a fucking storyline in Mad Men once, I swear. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and um, if it's on Draper, it's kind of hot. But yeah. otherwise, is there room service? Okay. <laughs> that's all we care about. Uh, do we have time it's for It's hometown a- time. <laughs> Before you... Before you volunteer, you can stop. You can stop. <laughs> oh, oh, there he is! In Sabril, everybody! That Artemis guy didn't look that hot to me. Oh. <laughs> Not at all. No. <laughs> Either way. Okay. Vince will be walking you up. Uh, so, now you have to listen. There's an Elvis poster. Yeah, you have to listen. Because here's the thing about the hometowns. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna talk really quietly so that um, you listen. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. 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 Here yeah. go. Go, go. No, go. no. I saw. There's an actual cat in the front. <laughs> it's there's an emotional support cat in the theater, and okay. the world has been lit on fire. <laughs> I can't. So, when I see a cat, I'm just I can't. Okay, sorry. I just need you to understand that lately. The hometowns have been unbelievable. Yeah. So, do not put your hand up <laughs> unless you can bring the fire the way Jeannie did in fucking Indianapolis. Don't, just don't. Just don't do it. Don't do it to yourself. Don't put yourself in that position. You gotta have a goodie. You gotta be able to tell it well. You have to be able to tell it quickly because I don't think we have that much time left. We have the new rule of if you're pointing at someone who's sitting near you and you don't fucking know their story, I'll blame you if you're it's bad. You're dead so meat. put your finger. You'll be beaten. <laughs> All right. Okay. So with that. Okay. I'm so scared. I hate this so much. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Over here. What's your name? Meg. Meg, nice to meet you. Hi, nice to be here. Where are you from? I'm, I'm from Kansas. I'm from uh, Topeka. Topeka. Yeah! Okay, I promise it's good. It's okay, good. great. Okay. Let's hear okay. it. Okay, so um, I am from a little town south of, uh, south of Topeka. It's called Linden. And so you really they. know where it's... Holy shit. <laughs> like, okay, so... Um, it's very small. It's about 1,500 people. My high school graduating class was like 32 people. Wow. So it's very small, but we do have a Casey's. Right? 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 Okay. So we have a Casey's. 
And um, Melbourne, the town next to it, does not have a Casey's. So Lisa Montgomery had to work at our, Mel or our uh, Casey's. So Lisa Montgomery what, had a pretty bad childhood. Totally um, abused. What's a Casey's from California, oh, yeah. California people? Oh, well, Tell the California well, people. Yeah. Kind of a Bucky's. Oh, it's like a Bucky's. It's okay. kind of a gas station. A gas yeah. station, breakfast but it's... pizza. Oh. Breakfast. Ah. Wow. Yeah, right. Gas station breakfast pizza. Yes. Okay. All like, right. Gravy is the sauce. Gravy at the gas station. Gravy on the pizza. Wow. Right. Okay. I like Holy this. Shit. All right. Okay. So. So, so a girl named Lisa, okay. Lisa Montgomery, she had a pretty bad childhood. She was abused by her stepfather her entire childhood, raped by him. She tried to confide in her mom about it, but she just thought that she was trying to steal her husband. Oh. Yeah, classic mom. Yeah, no. Um, so not like the best support system. Um, she, had, she was abused in the head so much that later they found out that she did have brain damage <gasps> from having Fuck. so much Awful. child abuse. Okay. But um, she grew up. And she had a couple kids in the early 90s, but her thing was to pose pregnant. And um, so skip to 2004, um, and she is posing pregnant. So her boobs get big, her belly gets big, her husband thinks she's pregnant. And um, <clears throat> she is online chatting with Bobby Joe Stenton, and she's from Skidmore, Missouri. She was 23, and she was eight months pregnant. And they were on a chat room to buy a rat terrier. Uh, it's called Ratter Chatter. <laughs> I mean, that's the best chat. Yeah. Um, so they meet up to buy the rat terrier. Lisa strangles Bobby. Um, yeah. Gets the baby out. Um, cuts Bobby the baby out. out. Cuts the baby out. Kitchen knife. Um, Lisa, or I'm sorry, Bobby, Joe fights back. Um, but she doesn't make it. Um, she dies. Lisa takes the baby, takes it back to Melbourne. Um, next day, or she tells her, comes home, tells her husband, I was Christmas shopping in uh, Topeka, and I had the baby. Congrats. No. Um, and I just went to the Birth and Women's Center, and then I went, you know, we're cool. We're good. Here's we, the baby. Oh, I my. came home. So the husband's like, yep, sounds, sounds right. Yeah. Um, so... She, um, so she goes, uh, the next day they wake up and they parade the baby around. They take it to the bank. I mean, all the, you know, first day stops. Um, the bank, the, uh, the, uh, courthouse, um, small businesses. I, well, it's, it's very small town. Yeah. Yeah. There's, yeah. Yeah. So, um, they, uh, but by the time that they get back home, police are there. They've connected the dots with all of the, um, you know, chat room stuff yeah. and everything. Um, and so they arrest her and, um, she tries to plead, uh, guilty by the reason of insanity, um, but doesn't work out. She is, uh, found guilty of murder and is on death row in Fort Worth, <gasps> Texas. Wow. So, so, but while she is on trial, um, they thought it was best that her older children did not go to that school, which so they decided to move them to Linden, um, five miles away, because um, we mm -hmm. but we heard about it. Oh God! So um, I was a junior in high school, and I was in um, history class with one of her sons. Um, they mostly kept to themselves, but um, yeah. So she already had children. She and had she children. Did this. Yeah, in wow. the early '90s, she had children, and then she Jesus. was still posing pregnant. Let's hear it for Meg, everybody.
Thank you so much. Wow. <laughs> Holy shit. Man, huh. the shit that happens in your hometowns, guys. <clears throat> guys, this show has been uh, fucking incredible. So what an fun. amazing audience you are. Thank you. I'd like to take a moment to congratulate, because we hear about this all the time. I would like to congratulate everyone who came here alone tonight. <laughs> yeah. Because there's a bunch of you. And we get to meet you sometimes, and people come up and go, I came here by myself. <laughs> and we're like, yeah. And we're like, what? I never do that. I, I know, right? I think it's so great. I was reading this, like, someone wrote this thing about murderino groups. She mentions people who go to the shows alone and who, like, make these incredible friends from the community. And, I, and I, it makes me just think, like, I wish I had had that 10 years ago yeah. when I was alone having Big panic time. attacks. Yeah. And it makes me so happy that we have it and you guys all have it. And we, it's, it's beautiful. And I'm You've so created happy. it for yourselves. Yes, thank you. Yeah. It's amazing. It's really amazing. And we're very proud and we're very lucky as we bragged all to you at the beginning of the show. We have gotten um, to do some incredible things. We're getting these amazing opportunities. And it's because we have the force of this uh, community behind us and with us, all our friends who listen to our podcast and support us. And we will never be able to thank you enough yeah. for that. It's, it's a, an amazing thing. And so that's why we try, like to come and do live shows so we can at least tell yeah. you in person. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us, Kansas City. And please um, stay saved and do God's missions. <laughs> is really the only message I want to send. It's true. It's important. But more than that, stay sexy. And don't Thank you, guys. Bye.